Good morning, and welcome to the Lots of Matza Pizza Podcast. We have a very, very special guest today. Gold medalist Karin By Dietz joins us today on the podcast. We will talk about her hockey career, uh, being a pioneer in women's hockey, uh, playing college hockey out east, and now back uh, as a mother of two and a coach of boys and girls hockey. It should be a fun little pod. I hope you enjoy it. Is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. Well, good morning, Karen by Dietz. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I am doing great. Uh, how are you doing through this whole COVID virus <laughs> in lockdown mode? Oh, it is. It can be a little challenging, but I'm healthy and my family is healthy. So uh, I guess that's all we can wish for right now and just trying to stay home as much as we can. You pro- and it probably throws you a curveball to some degree. I mean, as far as the distance learning with your kids, I have three of them. I have one in college and two in high school and motivating them is a little trickier than in normal. Yeah. You know what? I've been, I'm very lucky. Uh, my daughter loves school and so she gets up and gets right at it and gets it done. And my son, not as much as my daughter, but he still knows that he's got to get up and get it, get it done. Um, and I think the part they like about it is like, I think they can get their schoolwork done in you know, three, four, five hours versus being in school all day. So, um, you know, I'm very lucky in that aspect of it, but so far it seems to be going well. Yeah. It's so far so good too. I mean, I have motivated kids as well who kind of get their, their homework done pretty quick and makes that Mike's life easier. It's just kind of the, the challenges of not having the ability to do things that's that's the the hard yes and and we were lucky with the weather it's been nice the last couple days so we are outside um taking some walks um obviously doing the social distancing but uh you know it is nice to be at least to get outside and get some fresh air i don't have a hockey player in my house anymore um is brody down there shooting pucks all all, at all times i mean it it seems like i see videos all the time of kids shooting pucks and staying active he he definitely misses his hockey right now because he was just about to get started working out with MAP and uh, doing some some skating and he he really really misses it. Um, you know I, I can look you can turn it into a positive and say hey it's a nice break gives him time to work on a stick handling shooting pucks um, and doing some some you know working out as well. Well, he's a heck of a hockey player. We'll get to Brody's story here a little bit later uh, in his hockey playing career. But uh, let's talk about your hockey career. Uh, it's been a f- it's a fun one to follow and fun one to do some research on. You started obviously. You graduated high school in eight nineteen eighty nine. Hate to age you here, but oh, no worries. <laughs> and, and easy math when you look at the state of I mean, I know you grew up in River Falls, but you know states are very fairly similar. They have some differences. But high school hockey in Minnesota didn't start until nineteen ninety six. Six, right? Yes. So there's no way you were playing hockey with girls. You had to have been playing hockey at the boys' level. Um, tell us those stories of how you got first, how you got started, and then playing hockey with boys through high school. Sure. Well, it's kind of an interesting story how I got started. Uh, I have an older brother, Chris. He's two years older, and so he started playing hockey. And uh, so 
you know, I would, my dad built us an ice skating rink and I'd be out there playing with him and I'd come home from kindergarten or preschool and eat lunch. And literally I was out at the rink, um, all the time. And he had a hockey practice one night and he was sick. And my dad came up to me and he says, Hey, let's, let's dress you up in Chris's equipment. Love it. I love this. this and, is great. and you know what? Let's try to fool the guys into thinking that you're Chris. And I was, you know, six, seven years old at the time. Two. He's two years older. Okay. So he's in second grade when you're in kindergarten kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, let's do it. So, you know, I, I remember my dad helping me put the equipment on and, you know, the garter belts at that time you had the garter belt yep. to hold your socks up versus the Velcro. Yep. And we're in the car. It was an outdoor practice. And so I had the helmet, the skate guard, I had everything on in the car. And the last thing he said to me, he goes, Hey, go out there and have fun. He goes, but don't talk to anybody. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm out there skating around kind of with my head down and my, my brother's friends are looking at me going, something's not right. And pretty soon they, they're like, that's not Chris, that's Karen. And so they figured out it was me and I practiced with them and I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And at the end of the practice, you know, my dad said, well, what do you think? Do you want to play? And I'm like, well, yeah, can I? Cause there was no girls hockey at yeah, that time. Right. Yeah. And he goes, sure. Sign me up. And I was the only girl playing on the boys team. Um, Mike squirts, peewees, bantams. And, uh, and into high school. Your dad must have just been pumped that you wanted oh. to do this, right? Oh, yeah. And I, I absolutely loved it. And, you know, looking back, it was just, I was just one of the guys. You know, there was articles written about me. I remember even when I was eight, nine years old, referring me to as like the Larry Bird of hockey. You know, Larry Bird was like the only white guy in the court at the time, <laughs> back I back in it. the 80s. And and uh, that's, that's what they refer to me as. And, uh you know, I, I loved it. And, and my Olympic dream started at a young age. I mean, I was in 1980, I was eight, nine years old when, you know, Miracle on Ice took place and they won the gold medal. And it was at that time I said I wanted to be in the Olympics. So I just love to play hockey. I, I just love the sport. And um, it was fun. Now, I never in, until high school, I wasn't on my brother's team because when he would move up to peewees, I would move up yep. to squirts. Yep. Um, and it wasn't until high school. And it was my it was my freshman year in high school and I played basketball too. So I'm trying to play basketball and hockey and it's just not working as a freshman, yeah. you know, it just didn't work. And I had the, I had the, um, varsity girls basketball coach sit me down and say, Hey, uh, you know, I think you should play basketball. I, I probably have a spot for you on varsity. I think you should play. And, and, and I, I said, and she's probably saying you have a track to do this in college and there is yeah, no track oh yeah, to do exactly, hockey in exactly. college, right? I love this. Great. And I remember even talking to my dad because I literally, I couldn't decide what to do. And I, I, I remember talking to my dad about it. And my dad's like, you know what, Karen, I, I really don't see a future for you in hockey. I, I just, it's not there. And for whatever reason, I just loved the sport so much. I went against my dad's opinion and I went against, you know, the, 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 the basketball coach and I dropped basketball and I decided to play hockey and I tried out for the varsity as a freshman. I didn't make it, but mm -hmm. I didn't think I would. Um, but I made it my, my sophomore year. I made the varsity team. And that year was a very memorable year for me because my brother was a senior. I was a sophomore and it was the first time we played um, on the same team. And we practiced before school. So we had to get up at five in the morning. We practiced from roughly 5.30 to seven. I'd rush home, shower, eat and, and get to school. And um, it, was, it was a fun year. It was challenging because I remember each and every practice I had to go out there and prove that I deserved to be on this team. Um, so you didn't need any motivation. No, I just, I loved it. I mean, I just, I loved the challenge of going out there and proving that I deserved to be on that team. Um, now the one thing we did do, and it was my dad's idea is in, in the program, we put my name as in as KL by, we used my initials, 
just for the fact when you get to, you know, high school, the guys are bigger, stronger, you know, I remember taking some pretty good hits. Awkward. Yeah. But at least not everybody knew, um, there was a girl on team. And in fact, here's a funny story for you. So before one of you told me before you cut your hair too, right? Oh yeah. I had short hair. So you look out there, you really didn't know who was the girl. You know, it's not like I had a long hair. I didn't have a ponytail or anything. But this one particular game, the cheerleader smart team was talking to the cheerleaders of the other team. And the other cheerleaders said to our cheerleaders, hey, I hear there's a girl on your team. What number is she? Well, our cheerleaders decided to have some fun with this. And they said I was number 24. Now, number 24 on our team was probably the biggest guy, the strongest guy, and at the time had a full mustache and beard. (laughs) So they they had some fun with it, messing around, because not everybody knew which one I was out there, you know. Um, But again, I just just loved it. Love the sport, love to play, love the challenge. Now, here's a really question you might not ever asked. Were you the best player on the team? How were you? How did you rank uh, on uh, these teams? You know what? My my sophomore year, I was I was a third liner, and okay. I I worked my way up. So my junior and senior, year, I was either on the first or the second line. Um, you know, by no means was I the fastest player, the biggest player, the strongest player, but I was a very smart player. I knew what to do when I had the puck. Um, and my, my senior year, I was actually, I was actually the captain. There was, there was two captains and I was actually given a C to be the captain of the team. That's and, pretty cool. Which was very, very cool. But I'll, I'll be honest, looking, looking back on it, I, I truly think the coach, you know, put the C on my jersey because he knew I wasn't going to get caught drinking. He knew I wasn't going to go out <laughs> and, and smoke pot. Um, we had some kids on our team that were, you know, uh, a little bit of rebels. And I think he just knew that I wasn't going to get myself involved in some of that stuff. So that was probably part of the other reason. And, and so. be a good example, right? Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. I, mean, that's, yep. that's I followed the thing. rules. You know, I was always at practice, worked hard, follow the rules. Um, like I said, I may not have been the best player, but I, I, I was good enough to make the team. There's a the reason I asked that question is a friend of mine uh, who, from our, our neighborhood now and his son played blades with with uh, Zach Parisi and sure. during that the same birth year Natalie Darwitz was the same age and he always contends when Natalie Darwitz was in squirts and peewees she was the best player better than Zach Parisi better than all of the bo- and he li- would list off these other names I don't remember who they were but I always remember like wow how fascinating that. You know, she's obviously one of the best players, American players of all time. And the fact that she at that age was as good or better than some of these players that went on to go play pro. There's no question about it. Natalie Darwitz was, was, and you know, for sure one of the best. And I think if you look back, I think one of the years that I would consider myself probably one of the best ones on the team is one of my peewee years because girls mature before boys. Right. And so I had hit puberty. I had matured a little bit. I was probably the tallest one out there. And I remember doing sprints and, and I could win. So it was a really fun year for me because I was like, huh, I'm kind of one of the best ones out here. Well, of course, the boys caught up and, and went ahead of me. But for that one year, because girls mature before boys, it was it was kind of a fun year for me. Yeah, I, I asked that going back to the high school stuff is, you know, I, I know how tall you are. You're you're not short. You know, you're five, seven, five, eight. Right. Yep. Yep. So you weren't really affected by being overpowered physically when you were playing with boys. I I don't get the impression you were. No, no. I mean, I held my own. Um, but I, you know, I definitely got, uh, I I got the snot knocked out of me a few times. And I remember one time being checked in the corner and then I think the whistle went and this kid who was significantly taller than me looked down at me and he goes, 
you want to go? Like he wanted to fight me. And I, I remember looking up, <laughs> looking up at him and going, ah, nah, no, no, thank you. Oh, you know, just kind of skated away. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, there were some funny times. I mean, I, I had, I had 19 brothers on the team protecting me. So if anybody tried to take a run at me and, and there was, there was fans that would yell and call names. And this, this, this is not an unusual story for a lot of the people my age, you know, girls growing up playing with the boys, yes. being called names. I mean, you talk to Winnie Broach. She went through the same thing, playing with the boys. And What kind of names? Um, what kind of names? I'm curious. Well, just yelling. It, just, well, and just let's hit the girl. Let's get that girl. Let's get her. And then I don't even remember, but there was names. They try to yell things at me. I don't even remember what they were, but they were, you know, student sections yelling things, you know. Wow. Because they just didn't think I, I belonged out there. Well, it's clear. But it was more motivation for me just to go out there and be like, yeah. I do belong out here and I'm doing just fine. So that one where the, the guy asked you to fight, I think you'll, take, yeah. <laughs> you'll take that one to the nursing home with you. Won't you? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah. do you remember anything, grandma? Oh no, I remember yeah. this one story. I was 17, yeah. you know, like, the, I wish I knew who it was. I wish I knew who it was. And what, what's funny now is I still, still run into people randomly, whether I'm out coaching in, in a rink and they'll come up to me and they'll say, Hey, I played against you back so-and-so. You know what I mean? Like, I'm supposed to remember everybody I played against, but right. they remember playing against me. Oh, that's, this, is, this is good stuff. So this is the part where I think it's the most, could potentially be the most interesting part of our conversation is you've played with boys your whole life. You're 18 years old. You talked about it earlier about um, having um, a dream in, 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 of playing in college, and there weren't a lot of college opportunities especially minnesota doesn't have a program wisconsin doesn't have a program but out east there is talk about the yep. the, the move the migration to new hampshire it was my freshman year and my dad and i did some research and realized hey there's there's college hockey out east for women so we took a trip out and we visited some schools out there and you know kind of looked around and then we decided how are any of these coaches out there going to hear about me back here in River Falls, Wisconsin, you know, social media, all that stuff right. isn't out there. So what I did is I went to a hockey camp, um, must've been the summer before my senior year. And at this hockey camp, it was on the East coast somewhere. And there was a lot of college coaches there. So that's where I got seen. And after that, I, I got, you know, some phone calls from Russ McCurdy, who was the UNH coach, um, John McCurdy, who was the, uh, uh, Providence coach. And, uh, John Dooley, who at the time was the Harvard coach. And again, we didn't have, I didn't have a cell phone or anything. So I'd be at home and my phone would ring and my parents would be like, Hey, it's for you. And they were laughing because John Dooley had a very thick Harvard accent. Like, Hey, yes. Karen, you're going to pack your car, you know, really <laughs> thick. So I talked to these coaches and, and got recruited and uh, decided upon uh, UNH. I just thought it was a good fit for me and went out there and, and played with women for the first time. Um, what was, where is UNH? What city is it in New Hampshire? It's in Durham, New Hampshire. Okay, yep. It's about an hour north, north of Boston. Yep. And, uh, you know, it took a little while to adjust, um, because of the checking, you know, I was used to checking and I get there and you start playing and you, and you can't check and needless to stay. And I'll never forget this in the first scrimmage, my freshman year, we had a scrimmage. <laughs> I got three penalties and I'm not one to get a lot of penalties. I typically, I never really got a lot of penalties, but this one game I got three penalties because I was just hitting people and I was kind of having fun doing it because now I'm one of the bigger, stronger ones out yes. there. But it took me a little while, like, uh, can't do this, but it was fun. Now, is this, was this just like a inner squad scrimmage or were you playing another school? I don't remember. Probably another school, but you know what? You start your season off and before you get started in your league play, you do, you have a couple scrimmages, right, you know, so that's right. all it was. But then we got started and, and, uh, so back when I went to college, there was three schools that gave athletic scholarships. 
Northeastern, which is in Boston, Providence College, and UNH. So those were the three schools I was looking at, but those were the three schools that were the top schools. And, um, you know, Cami Granado played at Providence College. Shelly Looney did you know, played at Northeastern. Did you know who Cami Granado was at this point? No, not my freshman year. I had no idea. I mean, but we played against her. She's Her and I are the same age. So right. We graduated at the exact same time. So we, I played up against her for four years. And so we got to know each other very well um, on the ice, you know, and, and off the ice. Because by the time I was a junior, yes. I had made the U.S. national team. I was so just going to say that at some point, you're making a U.S. national team. I don't have the document in front of me. And so is she, right? Yep. Yep. I made the team in 1992. Now there was a, there was a team in 1990. Um, that would have been my freshman year. And I, I knew nothing about it, like nothing about it. And in fact, this USA team came and scrimmaged against UNH. They scrimmaged us. So I got to play against them when we, when we had a game. Um, so I did that. All the motivation first... you ever needed, right. To make the team oh, yeah. next year, right. Oh yeah. So then in 1991, when they had a tryout again, I tried out, made the team. So I was on the U.S. national team from 1992 to 2002 after the, the Olympics there. So yeah. Um, all right. So you're playing with women. What was what was the what was the uh, uh, the, the adapting to playing with? You already talked about playing with girls, but just being with people on the East Coast. I, I've lived on the East Coast, and to me, it was a major adjustment um, living and being on the East Coast. The biggest difference for me, other than, you know, they had a bit of an accent and everything, I just felt like life on the East Coast moves a little bit faster. Um, it just the pace is a little quicker. Um, I felt that the people in the Midwest are a little bit more friendly then on the East coast. And again, just generalize, obviously I made some great friends and, and, uh, met a lot of nice people, but it was, I had to grow up a lot. You know, I would have, if I was going to, if I was a senior in high school right now and looking at colleges, there's no question in my mind, I would be going to Minnesota or Wisconsin or, you know, somewhere here in the Midwest. I did not want to go that far away from home. I was very, very homesick. Um, you know, I, I tell these stories to my kids. I go, I didn't have a cell phone. I couldn't call or text home every day. I called home once a week. And you go to the pay Probably phone and you collect, your, right? Yeah. Call collect or you get out your calling card Yep, and you punch it in. And, you know, so it was a very homesick. So it was a, it was a, a huge growing up period for me, but, uh, but it was good. And I just, I loved playing on this team. It was a fun team. We were very successful. Um, back then we did not have the NCAA tournament. And you didn't even the have biggest, the, you didn't have the AC other one where you remember the Gophers won like in 2002 where they have, a, they hang a banner. It was American. Right. Right. It didn't even have American. that then. Right. Nope. The biggest tournament we had was they called it the ECAC tournament. Um, and it was, you know, us and Northeastern and Providence and Dartmouth and Harvard and St. Lawrence and Brown, you know, it was all the teams who kind of played throughout the year. You just, everybody had, had a tournament. And in the end it was always Northeastern Providence, us, and then an Ivy League team, whether it was Dartmouth or Harvard or, you know, somebody else in there. Um, and my freshman and sophomore year, we won it. Mm-hmm. And my junior and my senior year, we were runner-ups. So um, competitive hockey, a lot, like I said, a lot of fun. It was really fun to be able to play against uh, Northeastern and, and Providence College because the competition was, was better than the other teams. Um, you had... Uh, were there any other adjustments, any funny stories of going there and you know, trying new food or, or just from a cultural perspective, living on the East coast? Um, 
Not really. It, it wasn't, you know, like I said, I was just going to college and, and doing my thing. Um, obviously a lot more fish and seafood uh, yeah. being on the East coast, the lobster, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, for me, it was just more of an adjustment, um, you know, being away from home and, and juggling college and, and sport. Now I played tennis as well. In college. So in college, uh, two years, I played my freshman and sophomore year and then they dropped our program due to like title nine and then the number of boys and girls playing sports or something like that. Anyway, it got dropped, which, which was fine. I mean, I didn't love the sport. Um, my parents highly recommend I go out for tennis just to meet people. Cause you know, I'm going to college, not knowing anybody. Right. Um, so it gave me a way to meet people. Um, so I played two years, uh, of, of tennis and then the four years of, of hockey. So this must have, you must have traveled quite a bit throughout the East Coast and seeing parts of the country that you had never had seen growing up in River Falls. Oh, 100%. Just, I remember the first time I stepped on the ice at Harvard. You know, Harvard is considered, you know, you say Harvard to people and they're like, whoa, Harvard, right? It's a big time academic school, you know? Yeah. And I remember stepping on the ice because we, we, we played them and I was skating around looking up and I'm like, it felt a little surreal, surreal for me just coming from little town, River Falls, Wisconsin. And here I am playing hockey at Harvard. Um, it was, it was a kind of a, a, it was a very cool experience. And same thing to be on the Dartmouth campus, the Brown campus, St. Lawrence camp campus. Um, I very, very lucky looking back at all the different places that I'd seen playing just college hockey. And that expanded even more once I made team USA and been able to travel all over the U S Canada and, and, and the world for that sake. Well, we'll get to the world here in a second. So you finished college okay. in probably yep. like 93 or 94. 93. And so what do I you found... do between 93 and 98 in the Olympics? And you're playing for the U.S. national teams, uh, but that's not a full-time job. What are no, you doing no, for that's... work? What, do you, what does Karen do for 10 months out of the year? So I found out that if I went up to Montreal – to Concordia University, I could go to graduate school and play on their undergraduate team. So you're so cheating the system, weren't you? One hundred percent cheating the system. I, love it. I, I will love admit it. One hundred percent cheating with air quotes on it. By the way, yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. So I did. I went up there and played on their undergraduate team as a graduate student, and I believe it was halfway through the year, and it was at the semester time. And Cami Granado came up there as well. She kind of figured, well, I need a place to play. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go do this. So Cami and I were roommates. And we lived with with uh, two Canadian twins from Nova Scotia. Went to grad school, played hockey up there. Learned a little bit of French. Not a lot. Mostly yeah. the bad words. <laughs> um, got a few parking tickets because I couldn't read the French parking signs. And my coach told me, don't worry about paying them. And about two years later, you pay. I got... I had to pay. Yeah. The bills, they tracked me down in Wisconsin and sent me the bills. And anyway, it was, that was way more of a cultural experience for me than, than going to the East coast. I think going up there just because Montreal is so French. Um, right. there's places there that all they, they just, all they do is they just want to speak French, even though they know English and they know that I'm an American, they just want to speak. They're almost rude about it. They want to just speak French. And I'm like, listen, I don't speak French. Can we just speak English here? But uh, that was a great experience for me. And, and like I said, cheated the system. Now, since then, I think they only let a couple of us go up there. Um, and then they stopped kids from doing that. So you're no longer allowed to, to do that. So basically, I got six years of college hockey compared to most people's four. 
Right. And what was your degree in at UNH and, and at Concordia? Uh, UNH, it was a, a bachelor of science degree in physical education. I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to go into coaching. or, And then up there, it was called a diploma in sports administration. Got it. All right. So you, for now you've bought two years of time um, from escaping reality. Do, does reality set in? Do you, do you get a job? Do you, where do you move after Montreal? Um, after Montreal, I ended up moving back home. Okay. And I... I, you know, I worked a bunch of camps in the summer and just for, for a semester to try to figure out what to do, you know, just picked up odd net jobs. And yeah. I figured out, you know what, I really, I, I must've known by, I want to say January of 96, I moved to Lake Placid. I think it was January of 96. Yes, it was. I moved to Lake Placid. I got in touch with USA Hockey. I say, listen, I want to train. I want to make this Olympic team, but I, I can't do it here. So they allowed me to move to Lake Placid. I lived in the in the training center. Uh-huh. I picked up odd and jobs. I worked at the sporting goods store. I worked at the arena. And I got on the ice with Northwood's boys hockey team, their girls hockey team, whoever I could get on the ice with. Just random teams let me practice with them. Um, worked out in the training center. I'd work out with the speed skaters once right. in a while. Although that was, they were, they're psycho. I mean, they get on these bikes and go for these 50-mile bike rides. A little over my head. But... Um, and so I did that for about a year, I guess, or a year and a half, maybe. Well, I'm glad you said then, psycho. I was talking to Dave Snyder, yeah. <laughs> who, who was in the 88 Olympics, and he said verbatim, he goes, I, the, my biggest takeaway from being in the Olympics was being around other world-class athletes in other sports and how they trained and how they, how serious they were about their sport and how uh, serious they were about their diet. Oh yeah. I was blown away. Did, did you, did you see this at all? Maybe even in 98 or even with these, with these speed skaters? Well, the speed skaters alone, I mean, just their training was, I mean, they're, it's unbelievable. They hardly do any upper body. It's just all lower body. Yep. Right. I mean, the biking, the hill sprints and, and just all of that, the diet, I mean, yes and no. I mean, you see different athletes that are very strict with their diets. I think they're more strict now just because we're more educated now than we right. were in 98. We know more about it. Um, I think the people that are very strict with their diets, if I remember at the training center were the ski jumpers because really? the ski jumpers, oh yeah, they're tall and they're lean. They, they don't want to get too heavy, right? Yeah. So they're very sure. thin, but yet they want to have that explosive leg power. So they're trying to get their legs as strong and as powerful as possible, but yet not be more than 100, 110 pounds. I mean, they're little. They're not very, they're very thin. So they were strict on their, their diets more than, than anybody that I, I recognized. So sometime in 1996, we don't have the exact date, you hear that the Olympic dream you had in 1980 was a potential. Absolutely. What's going, I mean, it's got to be like fireworks in your brain when you hear there's an Olympic Games for women's hockey in Nagano. And what, they, what? you know what, they, they tried to get it in the 94 Olympics in Lillehammer. Yes, I remember. But it had something to do with, we were too late. I think they didn't have enough housing or, I don't know, we were too late getting there. So then we kind of knew there was a pretty good chance of it going to be in the 98 Olympics. So, yeah, it was like the first part of my dream was, was coming true here. And I had an opportunity to make this team. And so the summer of 97, I drove out to Boston found a place to live with a friend and I trained with a lot of the girls out in the Boston area. We went to Boston university and, and trained with uh, Mike Boyle 
And every morning we'd go there and lift weights and sprints and, and whatnot. Um, in the afternoon, I would, a lot of times I'd go golfing. Yeah. And then in the evenings, we'd play in a, a men's league, you know, some pickup hockey. And I did this for the summer of 97 because tryouts for the first ever Olympic team was held in August of 1997 up in Lake Placid. Were you, and, were you nervous or were you excited? Both. Really? Because I, I didn't really know what to expect. You know what I mean? Um, 52 of us got invited to go up there. And again, just not knowing exactly what to expect. I mean, obviously we get up there and there was off ice training. You know, they took your body fat and they wanted to know your wind gate power and output and, you know, some off ice stuff. And then there was obviously a lot of on ice stuff from practices to, to scrimmages to games. And, you know, you're being evaluated uh, about eight days into it. And coach Ben Smith invites us into a room and he announces 25 names. And he says, you're going to be on the, the pre-Olympic team. The final team was 20, but right now he goes, I'm picking 25 of you. And it was an emotional time walking out of that gym because obviously I was pretty excited to hear my name, but you know, there was people there that, that didn't hear their name and, and so you feel bad, you know? Um, but that was kind of the start of the, uh, the Olympic, uh, the pre-Olympic tour. So what does the Olympic team process look like from the summer of 97 to actually playing in Japan? So at that point, now the 25 of us, we lived at the training center and, and we started training, you know, practicing and, and weights and working with a sports psychologist, uh, a lot of traveling. Uh, we went and spent a week in Finland. We spent a week in Sweden. Um, we started our, our tour playing against Team Canada. And that takes us up to about Christmas time. And at Christmas time, we had just finished a, like a, a tournament in Lake Placid. And coach calls us into our room and basically he's like, hey, I can only take 20 of you. So at this time, he officially announces the 20 members of the team. It's hard, and, it's hard to watch those five kids leave, right? They yeah, and if I recall, I think two I think two had gotten cut about two or three weeks prior to that. Yep. And now he had to cut three more, a goalie, a defenseman, and a forward. Okay, all right. And it, again, very emotional because you see these last three that just about make it. And it's like, oh, it, it, it's painful to see, but yet you are so happy. I mean, and again, no cell phones. So you run to the pay phone and you call home and you, and you tell mom and dad you made the team. And it was, it was just an incredible feeling. And coach gave us two weeks off, which I thought was, I was like, oh my gosh, two weeks off. That's so long. But I got to come home. It was over Christmas break. Uh, I remember training every day went to my local gym and worked out and trained and got on the ice with the high school team. I just didn't want to lose any of right. my, you know, uh, endurance and, mojo, and everything. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, talking to my parents, I guess I look back, I don't see it as much, but my parents said that I was different over Christmas. Like I was so focused and so like, I didn't eat sweets. I was very disciplined. I was just so driven because I knew the Olympics were only, you know, six weeks away. Yeah. The two um, weeks off must've been hard. It was hard. It was hard. But I, in the end, I think it was good. I think we all needed it because we had been together for you know, four or five months. Right. So after Christmas, we, we all met up in, uh, in Colorado Springs to train this time. And, and I remember the elevation or what was it? Um, I don't know if it had anything to do with elevation or just location. I think just because of, of where we were going to be touring and where we were going to fly out from, you know, okay. we we're going to leave from, from that area. I have no idea, but we were, we trained there for a while and, I remember the first practice and, and Ben Smith said to us, he goes, Hey, um, enjoy every minute. He said, because you're going to wake up in March and, and look around and you're going to be like, where did this time go? So he was, he was really 
big on just cherish every day, every moment, you know, take it all in. This is going to be a great ride we're going to go on right now. Um, I want each and every one of you to get better individually and, and we're going to work at getting better as a team. And, you know, he congratulated us because that was the first time the 20 of us had been together. Right. Um, and we went from there until uh, at the end of January, we, we got on a plane and we went to Japan and we went out there significantly early yep. to get used to the time change and go through the processing and everything. And uh, well, we're at the Olympics. And I remember being on the bus going into the Olympic village and there was a big sign that said, welcome Olympic athletes. And awesome. I was up high five and people going, we're here, like beyond excited, just beyond excited to, to be there. So cool. Yeah, it was, it was a great experience, of course. And then I, I got to ask you about, to me, besides the games and the medal ceremony and all that stuff, um, the, the opening ceremony has to be oh. as cool as any of it because you're with every athlete there. You're all in the same building, the same stadium. Yep. You're in the building beforehand, and, um, you know, they go alphabetical order, so we're towards the end, and we're, we're given a lot of pins. So that's the time you go around and you start trading pins with, with other countries and taking pictures and, and just doing some of that stuff. And then when it's time to actually walk out, it's, it's an emotional rush. You're with all of your USA athletes. All of a sudden you become this tight family. I mean, you don't even know all these other right. athletes, the bobsledders, the figures, but you're just this tight family and there's cameras everywhere. And I remember you, you look for a camera that has the red light on. Cause then you know, that's the camera that's, yeah. that's on. And I just wanted to get on TV and wave home. Right. Just, just wanted to wave to everybody back home. Eventually you do your walk and you sit down. And after we sat down, I remember a lot of us kind of getting teary eyed. It was emotional. Like, wow, I'm, I'm here. I'm at the Olympics. I'm at the opening ceremonies. Like this is, this is a dream right now. And it was, it was an emotional time, but it was, uh, it was awesome. It was absolutely, um, it was one of the highlights of the Olympics. I believe both opening ceremonies were um, highlights for me, at least. Well, for you, it's we talked earlier just by accident. It wasn't by, by design. You talked about having this Olympic dream in 1980, watching that as a eight or nine year old. Um, that was like point zero 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 one percent chance. Yeah, I mean that's point. where I wanted to be in the Olympics, right? but at that time, I didn't even know if the Olympics was even going to be a possibility for me. Yeah. You know, women's ice hockey wasn't even on the radar. So yeah, so this was this was huge um and just and just being there with my teammates and I'll tell you what, Ben Smith did a fantastic job that year of keeping us very focused. Um we were there to win a gold medal. We were not there to visit our parents. In fact, in the two weeks, the tournament took place over roughly two weeks. Yep. And over those two weeks, I think I saw my parents once, maybe twice. Like we had on one afternoon from two to four, you can go see your parents. Other than that, you can't. Like it was all business. We are, we're not there to visit our parents. And he told us that numerous times. Um, so it's just looking back on how mentally tough our team was. Like we were very, very focused. And, and uh, we were there for one, one goal and one goal only. All right. We're going to go back to it in just a second. But I want to just fast forward to... 2020 you know this is 22 years later and just to ask you where the girls slash women's game is today I don't want to talk about athletic ability and training and all that stuff I mean they have they have they have camps they have all-star teams they have you know USA camps world 18s the game has come so far from 1998 and you were there at the beginning. What is, does that make you feel even more prideful about where you were and where it is today? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you ask anybody on that 98 team, you know, people refer to us as the pioneers, you know, however you want to say, but I just, I I feel so blessed to have come through hockey at a time where I could be a part of that team um, and, and be a part of helping a sport grow. There's no question in my mind that the 98 Olympics was a springboard for all of girls and women's ice hockey. Because if you look back at the numbers, they tripled or something like that after the 98 Olympics. Um, Back in 98, there was people who didn't have any idea girls hockey even existed at the level it did, you know, and all of a sudden they turn the TV on and here they are watching it in the Olympics. So, um, yeah, it's, it was very special to be a part of that team. And what's still really cool is, you know, what are we 20 some years later? Um, the connection that I have with with that team, you know, we're all on a, a text together. Really? And oh yeah, we reach out. I wouldn't say daily, but frequently wishing each other happy birthday, something comes up in the news, a funny joke. And, and we have this connection. Um, I'm not saying the 2002 team didn't have a connection, but there definitely was more of a connection for this 98 team. And, um, you know, we had a, we had a 20 year reunion and it was like, we had never left. We got back together and you could sit down and chat. And, you know, when you live with, with people for that long and train together and have the same goals and it was, uh, it was like we never left off. So it was really, it's really a neat, unique, um, group of of uh, women to play with so after the okay so let's go to the game-winning plays and go through some of the games and memories of playing i, I almost skipped past it and what i would yeah. forgotten so walk through some of the games and your memories of playing in the olympics um let's see we beat china finland sweden japan mm-hmm. and canada and canada was a you know in the round robin um and that was one of the games I really remember because, first of all, the game didn't really mean anything. Win or lose, right. we were going to play Canada again for the gold medal. Yep. We were down 4-1. to one, And I don't know what changed. I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, we started scoring goals. We ended up winning, if I recall this correctly, I think we won 7-4. to four. Okay. We scored six unanswered goals. And it was a game that I think allowed us to enter that gold medal game with momentum, with confidence. I mean, we were, we were flying high and going into that gold medal game. It was, I vividly remember waking up that morning, just ready to play. Like I, I, I wish the game was at six in the morning. Cause I would have been on the ice ready to go. But you, I went through the same routine, kind of the same breakfast, pregame skate, little nap, lunch, the bus ride on the, uh, to the gold medal game our sports psychologist had put together a video for us. And this video showed highlights of us scoring goals against Canada. Now you have to understand we played Canada 14 times. Yeah. 13 on the tour plus the one there. We had won seven. They had won seven. So, I mean, this was, this was the tiebreaker. So it showed all these goals we're scoring. It showed our goaltenders making all these fantastic saves. So again, I'm sitting there on the bus trying to control my emotions, my energy, um, you know, I get off the bus, I go through the exact same routine, something that I have taught to all the different athletes that I've coached over the years is I try to teach them to prepare for every game. Like it's the same game. Like it's, you know, the same, you should prepare for your first game of the season, whether it's a scrimmage or a game, the same way you're going to prepare for that gold medal game that you're going to play in or the championship game you're going to play in. Right. You know, teach these kids to just get in a, in a routine. There's no reason for me to change any of my preparation just because it's a gold medal game, right? So I did the same warm up, the same little routine, did everything I did the same. Yep. 
And the last thing I said to myself before going on the ice, I was like, all right, can't do any more, right? You can't do any more sprints, eat. You cannot prepare for this game any more than what you've done. What's done is done. Step on the ice with a smile on your face and, and go have fun. And that's what I did. We stepped on the ice, and I'll tell you what, it was it was a fantastic game. It wasn't um, as high a scoring game, that's for sure. No, it was uh, it was three to one with an open netter, and there was a time when we were up two to one, and Canada was just pressing like they were firing pucks at Sarah Teeting, and she was coming up with some fantastic saves. And then they pulled their goalie, and Sandra White scored the open net, and it was like holy buckets, this this is real. And when the buzzer finally went, um, that moment that you throw the gloves, the helmet. And you jump on top of the goalie, the poor goalie, by the way, whoever yeah. started this tradition that you crush the goalies, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was one of the last ones to jump on our goalie and all I could hear was get up, you know, we'd want to hurt anybody, but it was a moment in time that um, I'll never forget. It was emotional. At one time I was crying. I think the, I don't want to say stress, but the, just the emotions of everything over the years building up to that one moment and having my dream come true was unbelievable. And to look up in the, in the stands and my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister were all there and to be able to share that with them because they were a huge part of my success and helping me throughout the years, um, was amazing. Uh, Especially your brother, if it wasn't for your brother, right? Oh, he takes credit for, by the way, he will take credit Till he dies, he says, "If it wasn't for me getting sick, you would never gotten where you are." So, <laughs> oh, I was even likes thinking to take that. Credit. No, no, no. He likes to take credit for it. It's pretty funny. No, I mean, I was just thinking of him playing. Right? What if he just said, "Oh, I just like basketball." It would it may not ever. Have, you might have been a basketball star instead. Right? You know, true, true. true. I always think and, whenever I do these interviews, I I kind of I love to get into the birth order. Like, okay, were were you the pioneer of your family of, of playing hockey, or was it your dad? I was the middle child. You know, you know like, uh, I, I was the youngest. I had no choice, Karen. You're playing hockey here's your skates here's your stick and away you go you know and i loved it didn't get me don't get me wrong but it was it's the birth order is a big deal with where you play your sports yeah no it was uh it was unbelievable um after we got after we 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 won we went in the locker room and coach came in and congratulated us and he says all right it's time to go and get the hardware so you know, you see different Olympics where they they don't get their medal till later or whatever Mm -hmm. we actually went right back on the ice and lined up and skates uh, that's on, when skates on or skates on. Yep. Okay, right. Yep. Skates on. We're on the ice. Um, us and Canada are on the ice and then Finland got the bronze that year. So they came out in their warm ups or whatever. Yep. And, uh, Cami Granato was the first one to have the gold medal put on. And I was the second one. Yep. You were the assistant was captain, right? Assistant captain. Correct. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's hard to describe having that metal put around your neck. It is, it is hard to describe because it's just such an emotional, um, feeling. Um, it's, it's incredible. It, it was absolutely incredible. So, and so then after we got our medals, it's just we, party time, right? Yeah. We came in the locker room and of course we're kind of screaming and hollering and, and, you know, finally getting a shower in and coming out and talking to the media. I mean, you're just getting swarmed by the media. Now, in this Olympics, like I said, none of us had cell phones at the time, but at this Olympic Games, each one of us was given us a, a cell phone, and that cell phone was supposed to be used to contact our teammates, you know, right. and coaches to kind of stay connected. Well, we figured out how to make phone calls back home. Right. And we're not getting charged for this, by the way, because <laughs> after the Olympics was over, we gave the phone back. Right. But anyway, I get on my phone, and I start calling people back here. Now, you have to understand with the time change, 
Yeah. How um, many, what were the hours? Was it 12 hours? Oh, I think 11 to 12 hours. Okay, there yeah. was people back here who were planning on watching the game. Um, it was going to be televised at like 7 in the morning or something. So they were, they were watching it, tape delayed. So when I called people, I woke them up. I told them I was a gold medalist. I ruined the surprise. I could care less. <laughs> I really did not care at all. So that was, that was fun, calling people. And uh, finally being able to see my parents. You know, it took a while to get through all the, the media and the interviews and whatnot. Um, and celebrate with my parents. Um, yeah, it was, it was just an unbelievable experience. So fast forward to like two weeks later, cause I'm sure there was a, must've been just a massive adrenaline high for two or three weeks. When did yep. reality set in that you're just current again? Yeah, well, that took a while. Cause <laughs> right? I was after the Olympics, I was planning on coming home and just chilling. Um, yep. maybe even going to Florida for a week. I remember just trying to figure out what I was going to do. Um, well, our team had decided prior to the Olympics that we were going to go to Hawaii for a week after the Olympics, right? We're over, we're already that way over in Japan, right? Right. So a lot of us put down a down payment on a place to go to Hawaii. Well, after the Olympics over, I got asked to come back to the United States to make some different appearances. Cool. And I said, I said, you know what? Hawaii will always be there. I'll get there someday. Uh, I'm going to come back. So here's a funny story for you. I'm in the airport in Tokyo and it was myself and Shelly Looney and our athletic trainer. It was the three of us that were going to get on this flight to come back. Right. And I thought, mm, let's try something. I go up to the desk and I totally made this up, right? I went up to the desk and I said, hey, USA Hockey told us if we want a gold medal, we get to fly back on first class. Again, totally made it up. And the yeah. lady goes, okay, how many in your party? I said, we're a party of three. And I sat down five minutes later. Um, Ms. Bai, this way, please. They put us in first class. No way. <laughs> you yeah. it, right? I milked it. I was like, well, it worked. And the, the flight attendants were loving it because we're showing them our medals. They're bringing us all these free drinks and, and dinner. I mean, it was an, I think it was about a nine-hour flight from Japan to L.A. Then from L.A., I got on a five-hour flight to New York. And I spent a week in New York um, doing different appearances. I was on, at that time, it was called the Regis and Kathy Lee Show. Yep. Um, I went to the Emmys. Uh, I did a lot of stuff with the NHL. I had a, a woman... A PR person stayed with me and we went and spoke at schools and we just, I mean, you name it. I did all these different interviews. I was there for about a week and it took me a while to get adapted to the time change, you know? Yeah. And from there I did some other appearances and then I finally made it home probably two weeks after the Olympics. I finally made it home. And at that time you, at the airport, you could walk all the way down to the gate and right. I got off the airplane and I was greeted by a whole bunch of people, my parents and balloons and Got to come home and, and uh, have some time at home um, until I was out doing different appearances again. Like the phone didn't stop ringing and I, I did a lot of traveling for a while there. That's just amazing. You're bringing me to tears two or three different times. And this, this is pretty <laughs> neat. Somebody's just imagining, you know, where you're at in this whole process. It's pretty cool. Very yeah, cool. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, like I said, it, I would have never, ever predicted what was going to happen after the Olympics, you know, um, Anheuser-Busch flew me out to somewhere in California. I can't remember if it was LA or San Fran to their big corporate headquarters to speak and be a part of, be a part of that, um, you know, and meeting different celebrities. I met Tim McGraw. You no know, way. Were you ever we nervous? Were you ever nervous? Cause you, you seem kind of nervous on my show today. I'm sure you're nervous in front of me. I am not nervous. <laughs> um, no, I didn't. I never, I wasn't nervous, but it, it, this is funny. So Tim McGraw's getting autographs and then I'm sitting there getting autographs. Let's just say Tim McGraw's line was a lot longer than my line, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty funny, but yeah. So I got to meet a lot of really interesting people, um, travel tour, uh, just very, very lucky to say the least. Very, very lucky. 
So fast forward now, you back to the reality kicks in at some point and you, what is your profession? What are you, what are you going to do uh, from between 98 and 2002? Because uh, I know you want to go back and do this again. I can just, I, I know you end up doing it, but at this point you're, you're not done. You have, you want to do this again, right? It's in yeah, the, it's so, the, the Olympics is in the U.S. I mean, who wouldn't want to play right. in front of their own, in their own country? Um, I worked a lot of hockey camps. Um, I did a lot of speaking engagements. I worked, um, I did some work for the Minnesota wild. Now this is prior to them getting their team. I think their team, I think the first year for their team was in 2000. 2000. Yep. Yeah. So I, I did some work for them, um, kind of on a community relations deal, um, and, and did some work for them and then picked up and started training again. And, and tried out for the 2002 team and, and made it. And this time it was in, in Salt Lake City. Were you, were there world championships each year leading up to this? Every two years. Every so two yeah, years. so I was, part, yep. So I was part of the world championships. They were every other year. Were they as big a deal? It was, you know what I mean? As the, the, the making the team is, is difficult or, or was it not as big a deal as the Olympics equally or about the same? Um, I mean, it was a big deal to make the team, but I mean, it's to me making the Olympic team was a bigger deal. You know what I mean? Like, but it was still, it was still, you know, every time I put on that USA Jersey, it meant something to me, um, playing in the world championship. It meant something to me. Um, it was just fun to be able to to play team Canada. They, They were our rival. And to this day, um, you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, so I coach girls hockey. Um, I'm the assistant coach for a girls high school hockey team. My daughter is the team manager. She doesn't. She's not a hockey player. She's a swimmer, swimmer but she's right? a team manager. Yep. So she's a part of the team. It's very fun to be associated with the team with her, and she knows how much I have a rival with Team Canada. Right. And every year she likes to play a little joke on me. And what she'll do is at some practice she'll get all the girls to come out in red and white jerseys with Team Canada names on them. Oh, that's just she'll classic. Play, oh, it's classic. She'll play Team Canada uh, music. You know their their national anthem. I'll come back into my coach's locker room and she'll have former my former uh, rivals pictures. Yeah. Plaster all over. On April Fool's, I'll open my computer up. It didn't happen today, thankfully, but I'll open my computer up and there'll be a picture of a, you know, Haley Wickenheiser I was or Jana Hepburn or something like that. <laughs> I was, you were pulling up, you were talking about this Canadians. I start tapping in, you know, famous players, Haley Wickenheiser. And those, those oh. are the names, exactly the names that come up, you know. Yep. Yep. So my daughter had some fun with that. So there's, yeah, I mean, for the longest time, I had a hard time wearing the colors red, white, and black because those are Canadian colors, right? Yeah. That is. They were our rival, but it was, it was a fun rivalry because it was just, I loved playing them. I loved playing them because you knew it was going to be a good game. You knew it was going to be a battle, a war every time you went out there. Yeah, that had so. to be. So you, you get to any, any great memories you have from Salt Lake as a, as a second time Olympian? Um, again, uh, opening ceremonies. So before opening ceremonies, at the time, George W. Bush was the president, mm-hmm. and George W. spoke to all of the U.S. athletes before the opening ceremony. So that was kind of cool. I had my yeah. picture taken with him and everything. Well, we go into opening ceremonies. We sit down, and George W. Bush comes and sits like two rows right in front of us. He sat with us, Yeah, which I thought was, okay, this is pretty cool. Well, Chrissy Wendell, okay, Minnesota girl. Everybody yep. knows Chrissy Wendell. And uh, Chrissy Wendell gets on her phone. At this time, we had a cell phone. She calls home. 
And now picture this. Chrissy Wendell's parents are at home watching opening ceremonies. Yeah. And pretty excited. You know, their daughter's in the Olympics opening ceremonies. They're talking. Chrissy Wendell is talking to her parents and say, hey, guess what? I'm sitting right next to the president. Say hi. She puts George W. Bush on her phone to say hi to her mom. So you're sitting at home and all of a sudden you're the president, you know, saying hi to you. So I thought that was a pretty funny story that oh uh, my God. <laughs> there's something to that effect on what happened. But I know her parents got to got to say hi to the president. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and think about it. OK, so 2002 Olympics, uh, it was after 9-11. Right. So probably the biggest difference, obviously, compared to 98, we're, you know, in our home. We're at Salt Lake City. We're in home turf. But it was the security factor. So. I mean, like the airport shut down 30 minutes prior to opening ceremonies. When we walked yeah. into opening ceremonies, um, there were snipers walking on top of buildings. Right. You look up there, you know, uh, every time we went into the Olympic Village, our bus stopped. Um, Marine people would come on, search underneath the bus, underneath the hood. Like we got searched every time going in and out of the, the village. So security was heightened huge, hugely. Um, so that was probably the biggest difference. But as far as the games and everything, very, very similar. Um, this time going into the gold medal game, uh, we're playing Canada again on our tour. We had played them a total of eight times. Wow. We won all eight games. No, really? I did not know we that. Get, yeah. We're, we get to the ninth game and we lose three to two. Well, so by one other far stat the here, one other stat here, you guys only allowed one goal in pool play. Uh, maybe I'd yeah. have to look back at that. I, I have it right in front of me here. Yes, because you know what? Germany we, we, ten rip, China twelve one, Finland five rip, Sweden four nothing. Yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe. Wow, that's that's powerful. so. And and again, I I'm not one to ever make excuses for anything. Right. But I will say that when we got to Salt Lake City, um, a lot of people got sick. Really. So we were dealing with some illnesses. I remember one of our practices. Coach came up to me. And he's like, "Hey." Oh, what's going on with everybody? And I'm like, you know, we, a lot of people were sick. Uh, the night before the gold medal game, I think two or three people were hooked up to IVs, just trying to get fluids in them. So unfortunately, but it's the way the Olympics works. Unfortunately, we were not all healthy for that gold medal game. I mean, we were probably 60, 70% and still only lost three to two. I mean, we clearly were the better team. If we were to play team Canada, best two out of three, I think we could have pulled it off. Right. I mean, we right. won eight, eight games in a row. Um, you got Chrissy Wendell, Natalie Darwitz, Jenny Potter, you know, the talent on our team was, was by far the 2002 team was the most talented team I've ever played on. No question. Isn't that interesting? But the 98 team, Canadians think that they should have won the gold medal in 98 versus I think it could have been 50, 50. I think right. it could have gone either way. Yep. 2002. I think we clearly should have won. We just uh, didn't have enough to pull together for that game. So that was a tough loss for me. And yeah, it's just that's a tough one. You talked but, about you talked about the game, uh, the girls' game tripling since '98, and and now I look at today's girls slash women's game, and it's extraordinary. First of all, I, I look at I look at some of these girls playing high school hockey now the last few years in Minnesota, and I'm like, you look at the national U18 teams are like composed mostly of Minnesota kids, like 15, 14 Minnesota kids on these teams. Sometime, what is Minnesota doing right to develop uh, its girls programs versus the rest of the country? It's, it's unbelievable. It's staggering, really. It is staggering. But you have people like Winnie Broke Brown, mm-hmm. who does a lot of summer training programs. Um, and you just have some unbelievably talent. You have some great boys programs, which has helped now get all these girls programs up and running. 
And I know there's still a lot of co-op teams out there. Don't get me wrong, yep. but it's still the number of girls that are playing hockey and the talent level that is there um, by far succeeds anyone, you know, even in, I think what helps is you have the Twin Cities metro area, right? You have so many um, communities from Edina to, to Minnetonka, to Brooklyn Park, to, you know, Stillwater, Egan, whatever you have all over. You look in Wisconsin, we don't have that here. Um, you know, in Hudson, youth hockey, I've coached my son's team now for about 10 years, and we're fortunate enough to be kind of included in Minnesota. Yes, we play this kind of attached hockey. to yeah, us, right? We are attached. So <laughs> we are very lucky to, to go 20 minutes and play all these Minnesota teams versus you go another hour east over to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. They don't have that. They have to travel 30, 40 hour, you know, away to, to have any competition. So we get to play all year long against these Minnesota teams. And then at the end of the year, we go play in the Wisconsin state tournament and, and typically crush it. Um, there's very few times that our team is lost. And if we have lost, it's usually to a Milwaukee team uh, or maybe a Green Bay or, or Madison team. But um, typically we do very, very well in our state tournaments. What's interesting to me is I was at a Minnesota hockey board meeting. These are not nothing very uh, not as exciting as a hockey game at this moment. Let me tell you, but there was a meeting once and they were talking about adding more playoffs for the U12s. And one of the guys gets up and he says, "Well, we should do this because of this, you know, reasons one, two, and three. And then some guy pipes up. He goes, "Oh, and by the way, our U8 numbers have tripled the last five years." Wow. Meaning we're not, this isn't going to be just a blip in the map that we need to increase the playoff number of teams in the playoffs. We need to do this forever. His point was don't just pencil this in, put it yeah, in yeah. ink that this is yeah. here. His point was girls hockey's here to stay. This isn't just a, a blip on the radar. And which yeah. was just, it was like a, I'm, the, the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. It was like, that is so exciting that this isn't just like, a, Oh, there was just a little blur because of the Olympics. There's a little blur because of this. no, this is a real thing. And there's a ton of great players. And, and you're right in the beginning, like you were on the top of the wave before it started crashing down on the, on the rest of the country. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was fun to be a part of that 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 pioneer team that got kind of everything started for sure, um, and I'm lucky enough to still be involved with the sport as many of my former teammates are in some form. Um, you know, you look at Katie King Crowley, head coach at Boston College. Yep. I mean, you love seeing that. You look at AJ Malesko, um, doing color commentary for the NHL. Yes. You know, yeah, it's it's awesome to see uh, my former teammates still um, involved at a very high level in I'm the just, sport. I'm looking at the roster from the O2 team just alone. Yep. I mean, Chrissy Wendell's still very involved. Jenny Potter's still very involved. Like you said, Katie King. I mean, Cami Granado's a scout. Um, you know, I mean, yep. They're, Cor this... Courtney Kennedy. Courtney Kennedy is a uh, the assistant coach at Boston College. Yes, and Natalie is coaching in Hamlet. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. But this podcast is about you, so I want to bring this back to you <laughs> and and your coaching. Um, I first met you, and I want to talk a little, just a couple seconds about this team that you coached. It was a Squirt A team for Hudson Brody. Must have been a first year Squirt back then because uh, he's an 05 birth year and you were coaching with mark strobel was <laughs> strobel, there was one yeah. other person on the bench too right big tim, name tim krug yeah tim, tim krug. krug so mark yeah. mark strobel's the head coach and he currently is uh associated head coach with with the badgers down yep. in madison yep and then tim krug who also played at he played at uh, madison with yep. with strobel and myself and we joke about that team 
because we feel like there was a lot more uh, talent on the bench. And there was on the ice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were a little maybe overqualified for, for score day hockey, but it was it was a really fun team to It was coach. a pretty good team, though. I mean, Isaac Howard was on that team. And, yep. and, and did, you, did, you have the, did you have the Stefan twins on that team, too? Not that year. Yeah, we didn't have the Stefan stuff, Peewees. Yeah, okay. Peewees. But the score day team, we've talked, if we could put that team together. Back with, together? Oh, yeah, my it goodness. Yeah, it would be. It'd be a pretty talented team. Be a really yeah. good team. That'd be a really yeah. good team. Okay, so now you you you've been following Brody, and just so everybody knows, is Brody a good hockey player? I will speak for Brody. You won't. He is a fantastic <laughs> hockey player, and it's his story is great because he when he was back in that squirt team or in mites, he's never been legendary. You know, he's never had that Isaac Howard like persona. But now, no. I was a year and a half ago. I saw him play, and I was like, just doing a Blue Army game because he plays the the Matt Blue Army team. And I was I was like this defenseman's really good. He just keeps taking, he just keeps taking over the game physically and smart and all these things. And I just keep saying deets, deets. I forgot to make the connection to you. And I was like, I came off the broadcast and I said, this, this Brody Dietz is pretty darn good. Well, well, duh. Someone goes, duh, that's, that's Karin Bice's son. And I was like, <laughs> oh, from Hudson, yes. You know, I, it, it took me a while to connect the dots, you know, you just, it, whatever. And, and he's a nice player and you've coached him all the way through Bantams, right? Correct. I've, I've coached him mites all the way up till this was the second year Bantams. Um, and, you know, it, we, we won the state tournament this year. We actually got it in. Uh, it was the first week in March in Green right. Bay, and, and we won it before the, the quarantine took place and everything here. Um, it, was, it was obviously great to win. It's been uh, a fantastic ride to be his coach. Uh, a little bittersweet because I think my coach and him has probably come to an end, you right. know, as he'll go on to high school and everything. Um, but I was lucky to, to coach him this long. Um, I remember when he was young, I just said, I'll coach him as long as he says it's okay. You know, at that right. time I thought, well, maybe by the time it's a P-way, he's not going to want mom coaching him. Right. And each year I'm like, bud, you're all right if I coach. Yep. Yep. And it just continued on. And, and I was lucky to be able to coach him all the way through his uh, youth hockey career. And it's a, uh, it's a, I coached my, I never coached my son in hockey. Yeah, most a little bit when he was young, but, but baseball all the way through. And there's a picture, someone took a picture of he and I, uh, you know, high-fiving as he was grounding the base, some kind of, you know, connection picture. And it would just did all those feelings rush in of all the years that we, you know, did batting practice together and all those things. Sure. Elaborate on that, you know, like for you, you probably had several great moments with him uh, at, at the rink. Well, one of them just took place. So we're at the state tournament and we're over in Green Bay and the semifinal game is against Stevens Point, who I, it should have been the championship game, but the way the brackets worked, yep. you know, I think Stevens Point, us were the best and um, our two other coaches who um, couldn't be there. So I was considered the head coach and I had to get another guy an assistant. So I'm the head coach on the bench and we're playing this team and we're just not clicking. We, we ended up going down three, nothing. Yeah. And I still had confidence in our team because we were the better team. And pretty soon things start clicking. It's three to one, it's three to two, three to three. We ended up winning the game four to three. And it was really a really, really fun game for us to come back being down three, nothing. And after the game, after the boys, you know, uh, hug their goalie, uh, Brody came up to me. I'm walking on the ice to get, to shake hands and he came up to me and he gave me the biggest hug. And it was, I got a little choked up because yeah. it was like him coming to me saying, you know, mom, we did it type of thing. Um, one of the parents in the, in the stand saw it and took a picture, you know, oh, from the cell phone, the but she recognized it. Cause it was just that one moment where your 14 year old son comes and gives you a hug. You're like, you kind of embrace those moments. Right. Yeah. Um, and then again, after, after winning, um, the next day we, we played, uh, we played green Bay to, to win. And, uh, Again, just to get another hug, just that little moment that I think he, 
you know, uh, appreciated me coaching over the years, but obviously as you get older, you get the teenage years and, yeah. you know, it's a little different, but, uh, um, no, he's, he's a good player. He's, he's, uh, always been a defenseman. He's yeah. always been that kid that gets back and wants to, to, to play defense. So well, he's not um, shy to rush the puck though. Let's... No, he's, he's an offensive defenseman. I'll, I'll tell you that he's, yeah. he's definitely, but I, I love the fact that he wanted to play defense. Cause I think it's much easier to play forward after you play D it's a lot harder to go back and play D if you've been a forward, you know? So it gives him a perspective of the game. Um, looking up ice, which he, I think and is, he gets is out great. of your shadow a little bit too, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because I was predominantly a forward. So you've coached boys, you could, the boy, the girls coach at Hudson, elaborate on the differences of, of coaching boys versus coaching girls. Drama. Drama. Which which is more drama. Which is more drama. There's no question in my coaching career, there's a lot more drama and maybe it's just girls high school hockey. There's a lot more drama in the girls program than in the boys program. Um, In my coaching career, I I think that's the one thing, you know, I do. I love coaching both. Um, I think the girls are like sponges. You know, when you, when you coach them, they're just, they're sponges. They just want to learn from you. They want to, you know, take everything you can give them versus sometimes the boys, especially as they get older, they feel like they know everything, you know, and, and maybe they don't want to listen as much or they don't want to take your coaching advice as much. Um, but as far as, you know, off the ice, I just think there seems to be more drama with the girls and sometimes it gets brought on the ice and I'm, right. I'm not about drama at all. I don't like drama. I don't like drama and the, and the girls know it. In fact, I've been told at the beginning of the season, the girls are scared of me, which <laughs> I kind of laugh at it because I'm like, Oh, you know, but I can be kind of tough on them at first. And then you soften up a little bit and, and you definitely have a lot of fun with them as well. But I want them to know that I mean business. When you come to the rink, we're going to work hard, but we're also going to have a lot of fun because I think that's extremely important. Uh, I was someone much smarter than myself gave me this advice as I was coaching my daughter's hockey team. And he said, you know, one thing you got to remember is when you're coaching girls, they have to have fun in order to win. Yep. Boys yeah have to win in order to have fun. Yes, <laughs> that's like, perfect. Yes. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So there would be times where I'd be like, where we just sucked, you know, and I'm like, didn't mm-hmm. want to, and I wanted to lay them out, right, because they, were, they weren't they were hustling or whatever, all those things. And I'm like, all right, I'll keep it light here because we got to keep it fun because we have to get to the next game, right? And you, you don't want to ruin it for them. And I thought that was oh, we've had captains. We've had captains come in to us as a coaching staff, and they think we're being too hard on them. Well, and I'm like, mm, okay, that's first of all, that's not for you to decide. Right. Um, right. And I think some of these kids as, and I'll say it across the board. I think as kids have gotten older, I think there's this entitlement. Oh, and yeah. I think there's too many parents out there telling their kids and that they're awesome and put them up on this pedestal. And all of a sudden they're getting coached and I tell them maybe they're doing something wrong or give them some constructive criticism and, and they have a hard time taking it. It doesn't mean I don't like them. It doesn't. Right. In fact, it means I probably love them even more right. because I'm trying to help them. And so to get that through some of these players um, has been challenging over the years. So really one, challenging. one quick story, Karen's story. Last summer, um, we, Brody and some other all-stars, let's call them first-year Bantams, were chosen on our Bantam Elite League to go play in against the majors, the older kids. So these kids are uh, one year older than them. And I thought I had this great idea to asking Derek Plant and you to coach the team. And um, I'll say, I'll tell you the story. A kid, I think it was Saturday night. So this is after game three. It's a four-game weekend. (laughs) And this kid walks off. I won't say his name. And I said, so... What's it like having uh, uh, Derek and Karen coaching? He looked at me and he said, that Karen lady is a freak. <laughs> 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 and he 
and he and he meant it in a really nice way. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. she is she is into it, you know. And and Tony Lancet, Brooke White's uh, uh, yep. husband, was one of the refs, and he came out. And he goes, she's more into it than anybody here, and it's so refreshing, you know. So. It was it's it, fun. I like co- that team. I had a blast coaching them. I mean, it, it with Derek Plant too. I, I first of all, I learned a ton from him, yes. which was 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 great. And just the respect and the the kids we coached. I mean, they all came up and said thank you and asked questions, and they were so respectful and and coachable. I guess that's one thing that being a coach. The highlight of for me being a coach is when you can coach kids that are coachable. Yeah. Um, cause I've coached kids that don't want to listen to you and they give you the cold shoulder and they don't listen to you and they're just, they're not coachable. And when you try to talk to them, they turn and look away. And I'm like, all right, those are the ones that are tough to coach. But the ones, the kids that come up and ask you questions and they try, they may not always do what you ask them to do, but all, all I'm asking is you try, right? You show me the effort. Fantastic. I had, Perfect. I make a little joke about the kid, but the parents that came up to us afterwards were just like, Tony, that was such an unbelievable experience for our kids to play with those other kids and to play for Derek and Karen. It was, it was, we, I got a lot of thank yous. Let's put it that way for your time. Thank you for asking me because it was fun. It was a lot of fun to watch those kids play. And thank you, Karen, for, for coming on today and, and telling your story. It's a little bit of a biography of playing with boys and, and winning with girls, winning with women and all the other things that went into your story. It was, uh, this was a great ride. I wish we could go for a little bit longer, but, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the internet tells us that podcast should only be an hour long and we're already at an hour and 10. Well, I appreciate you having me on. And I just want to say to all those people out there, stay safe, stay home, follow the rules and, uh, we'll get through this together. We will. We will. Well, thank you, Karen, for being here. And thank you to our sponsor, Lots and Matza Pizza for their sponsorship of today's show.